Yeah, I'm just going to skip an intro. When I was a freshman in college, I changed my Instagram name to Don't Knock It. This wasn't just a simple changing of a name, though. It was more of a a renewal of, of identity as well as a changing of approach. When I came to faith on a college campus as a baseball player, to my surprise, people don't really like it when you respond in opposition to the flow of the conversation. Especially, especially when it came to the typical locker room talk. I quickly realized I had honestly engaged in this destructive environment all my life. I had contributed. An environment where we normalized and often glorified the tossing around of girls' names and bodies more often than we did baseballs. So before I continue, let me just clarify that God gets every single ounce of glory in this. Because if it were up to me, I would have walked away and continued in my foolishness. I don't share this for the sake of patting myself on the back for becoming so diligent in a specific philosophy or field of study. I just know that God breathed life into me while, while I was still disobedient to him. And his very unmerited favor, his grace, through providing his own son to live the life I couldn't and die the death that I deserved, was all all of the proof I needed to trust and believe. Everything after that serves not only as knowledge, as, you know, knowledge, wisdom, and understanding to grow in the faith, but also as a reminder of what he, of what he brought me and us out of so that we have no right to boast or, you know, become prideful in anything else but his sacrifice. So now, now that I got that out of the way, uh, back to my point, and I'll say this as quick as possible for the sake of not being long-winded, I also witnessed how as believers in the God of the Bible, even people without the remote, remotest idea on the Bible's true message of, of redemption, these people recognize that it claims an absolute truth. We and by we, I mean society, we don't like absolute truths. Not one bit, actually. In fact, we fight tooth and nail to get rid of them because on the surface level, they come off as exclusive, intolerant, and egotistical, depending on who you're talking to. Any absolute truth, by definition, can and does exclude. It excludes anything false. Christians believe in the absolute truth of the of the authority of the God of the Bible, which means anything or anyone else that claims to be that claims to be or have the truth is by default false. So as a college student, you know, coming to faith, believing in this absolute truth, it's only natural, especially on the college campus, to get responses of opposition because we operate under the impression that the Christian we're talking to claims to, um, and I want to use, I mean, you can't see it, but I'm using air quotes around these following phrases that I'm about to use. Um, these Christians that we're talking to, they claim to have the secret to immortality or the answer to all of the world's problems. 
so I think this is why the most common questions skeptics skeptics have for believers um, are usually in regards to suffering and exclusivity. Anyway, I digress. The whole reason I started this in the first place, using the title Don't Knock It, uh, specifically um, is because I want you to think. I want you to think critically. Does the, I want you to ask yourself questions like, does this worldview make sense? Can it be applied to everyone? Why the heck does this all matter to me? I summarize my my point um, and why I want you to think critically is in uh, in one quote by C.S. Lewis. He says, if Christianity is false, it's of zero importance. But if it's true, if it's true, there is nothing more important in the entire universe. I just want you to, you know, keep that in mind as as you listen and bear with me listening to my voice. So all this came as a result of receiving a new heart and a new desire to please, to please God as expected though, kind of like a newborn learning how to speak, crawl, walk, etc. I made a myriad of mistakes, countless mistakes. I won't get into I won't get into that in this episode though. Um, I'd like to dedicate um, the topic of what it's like following a perfect God as an imperfect creation. What it's like following a perfect Creator as an as His imperfect creation. Um, I definitely want to dedicate that topic uh, its separate episode later down the road. So. As the shame, remorse, and feeling of uh, of unworthiness often lingered in my head after doing something that I shouldn't have, um, God still managed to reach me, to refine me, to preserve me to live for His glory. As the punchlines came my way, and as the questions like, or uh, statements like, Jesus is a myth, or the Bible is imperfect because it was written by men, or my personal favorite, they stole all that from Egypt. So as those comments came in, once religion came into the conversation, that's when I require, uh, it wasn't at that specific moment, but during this time frame, I acquired this attitude and almost internal response of nah don't knock it don't knock it till you try it because you have no you have no idea so what follows are some of the stories i heard and read about at the beginning of my conversion um as well as an additional recent one that i wanted to include um for the sake of further illustrating my point uh, this story, these stories that on the surface level, honestly would have scared, now that I think about it, they would have scared me right out of believing. They would have made me, you know, step back, but, but instead, they drew me closer. 
and grafted me into this, you know, this entire history of a believing community. Within this time frame of really getting to know the person of Jesus and his significance in, in history, I read a book called The Insanity of God, written by a missionary Nick named uh, Nick Ripkin, who was in Somalia with his family. And basically what this entire book is about is his witnessing of the most authentic faith in the most anti-Christian places in the world. Places that are some of the most antagonistic and violent towards Christians. If, if skeptics question the existence of God because of the presence of evil, Nick Ripkin shares how belief in God is possible even in the darkest of environments, even in the most persecuted environments where the skeptic or honestly believers would ask like, dang man, like, is God really present there? Um, I also wanted to use a story mentioned in a book titled Seeing Jesus from the East, uh, co-authored by the late Christian apologist Ravi Zacharias and one of Michigan's best lawyers, who is also a speaker in Ravi Zacharias International Mi uh, Ministries, um, Abdu Murray, as an example of the opposition these believers often face. Um, this quick little excerpt uh, also gives a bit of insight on the difficulties converts uh, from other religions have to tread through as they approach public, as they approach going public with their decision. It goes like this. When a Muslim, a Hindu, or Buddhist becomes a Christian, her family and community feel that she has elevated her individualism above the community and family. She has betrayed everyone, especially family, by what is seen as a selfish act. Her choice is denounced, she is shunned, and her parents are scorned for having failed to instill proper values in their child. A friend's story illustrates the paradoxical push-pull of communal honor and filial love. This friend was raised as a Muslim in Iraq and converted to Christianity as a young adult. His brothers, who were furious, threatened to kill him. Fearing they would make good on their threats, his mother arranged to get him out of the country. As she dropped him off at the airport, she gave him tear-filled kisses on his cheeks. Then she spat in his face and said, Now you're dead to me. And he never saw her again. The reason why I was so defensive towards anyone who tried to discredit the Bible, not externally violent, just it was just an internal response. Um... When they tried to discredit the Bible or its believers um, was because after God brought me to saving faith in the October of 2014, just a few months later in February 2015, a news update was released reporting that 21 Coptic Christians from Egypt were lined up wearing orange-like 
prison suits and brought and were brought to their knees on a Mediterranean shore by an Islamic Islamic terrorist group dressed in all black called ISIS. These men all in their early to mid 20s were told to renounce their faith in Jesus Christ and their lives would be spared. So following through on their convictions, they refused. And as they felt the blades against their necks, they uttered and mouthed the words, Yarab Yesua, which means, O Lord Jesus. They were then beheaded on that Mediterranean shore and the video was published and broadcasted on their television program. As I learned about my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who were experiencing this horrific persecution and have been since the first century, God made me aware of this global community of believers referred to as the church. And I, I think, I believe that was the first time after hearing that news story I think that was the first time that I prayed for someone in another country. This was the first time I was exposed to the information that in several regions in China, believers have to gather in secret underground rooms in order to worship and fellowship together while having to lip, having to lip sync their songs of praise in fear, in fear of being found or separated from their families or sometimes beat down or maybe even like murdered this is after learning all of this this is where not only the changing of my instagram name stemmed from but also this this defensive attitude towards friends teammates and any other person that shot jokes back at me um when i tried to defend someone they were disrespecting behind their backs or making sarcastic comments about this new identity I was attempting to walk in. With sharing all of this, I'm not saying that Christians are the only ones who face persecution in this life. Muslims are actually persecuted by Buddhists in Southeast Asia, Ancient Buddhist statues are destroyed in Afghanistan. Christians' persecution, however, is not, it's not only incidental, but it's, ine it's, it's inevitable. So why mention all of this? Why begin this podcast with negative stories about a decision, uh, a, an actual belief system that would and does get converts killed in some parts of the world. Because this is a reality. Not only is this a reality, but Jesus himself doesn't say that we, that we might be persecuted or face backlash or violent opposition, but, but that it is expected. In John chapter 15, Jesus tells his, his disciples, if the world hates you, Know that it hated me first, or know that it hated me before you. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute, persecute you. 
for believers here in the U.S., we don't have to worry about this type of violent persecution to the point to where we have to live in fear every single day by our by our own government, by the local militias, or even the neighbor, the neighbor next door. There's a church virtually on every corner or every couple of blocks. And we often have these humongous church conferences and worship concerts uh, like several times a year at like the largest sports sports arenas in the country. This may not be our reality here and now, but but we, as well as every other believer, domestic or international, are we're, we're called to die to ourselves daily. We are called to experience a sort of spiritual death every single day. Meaning, every single day for a believer, we are to essentially take the same route Jesus took up to Calvary as he drug and stumbled upon his own cross. We are to strap up our boots, rally up our troops, close our eyes, and put our hands together to communicate and live out this truth. But I assure you, my dear brothers and sisters in the faith, it is a fight worth it is a fight worth fighting for. How encouraging is it though that even though believers in the countries I mentioned earlier, the ones that are having to face that type of opposition and persecution, they still pray for us. They still pray for our edification, our salvation, our increase in wisdom in the person of Jesus Christ, the, the very Savior that we share life and strength in. They must understand how we here in the West are distracted by the most trivial pursuits. A bigger house, a nicer car, or physical health has become our affirming signs that God does indeed still love us. Dang, I can see why they would pray for us in the midst of their trials. This fight, this fight is painful. It's often discouraging, but if we rest, if we rest in the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension, and the future return of Jesus, the promised Messiah, he promised that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. The work, the work is finished. The battle has been won, but, but we live in a current state of already, but not yet. Meaning we have already been redeemed, but not yet fully restored. So what do we do? We wait. We pray. We rest in the finished work of Christ, but most important of all, we love and we die trying. The way that God calls us to love and the refining process he chooses to do that in is, is the most transforming force in the history of humanity. No other worldview, no other worldview answers the four most crucial questions about life which I will address in a later episode, um, 
are answered like they are in the most extraordinary point in history. And that's the cross of Jesus, of Jesus Christ. These four questions or the four questions that a worldview has to answer in order to be of any relevance are, who am I? Why am I here? What's wrong with the world? And how do we fix it? This specific topic, uh, this specific, specific, wow, that was tough. This, this specific topic is a monumental under, undertaking, so it won't come for a while. But I definitely want to expound on those questions at some point. At, at an open forum on the campus of Johns Hopkins um, about the problem of suffering and the goodness of God, Ravi Zacharias said, said this about freedom. And I quote, where there is freedom, there is a possibility of love. Where there is love, there is a possibility of pain. Where there is pain, there is a possibility of a savior. Where there is a savior, there is a possibility of redemption. Where there is redemption, there is a possibility of restoration. Freedom makes love possible. Love makes pain possible. Pain makes a savior possible. A savior makes redemption possible. And redemption makes restoration possible. Lastly, I wanted to share one of the most powerful and descriptive uh, song verses of all time by a hip-hop duo called uh, Beautiful Eulogy. This verse is from their song called If, um, where they communicate how us as, as humans reconcile the goodness of God um, in the presence of pain and pain and suffering. This, this verse embodies like the attitude that we as believers come to embrace. So here it is. If, if in one unfortunate moment you took everything that I own, everything you've given from heaven above and everything that I've ever known, if you stripped away my ministry, my influence, my reputation, my health, my happiness, my friends, my pride, and, and my expectation. If you caused for me to suffer, or to suffer for the cause of the cross. If the cost of my allegiance is prison, and all my freedoms are lost. If you take the breath of my lungs, and you, and you make an end of my life. If you take the most precious part of me, and take my kids and my wife. It would crush me, it would break me, it would suffocate and cause heartache. I would taste a bitter dark providence, but you would still preserve my faith. What's concealed in the heart of having is revealed in the losing of things. And I can't even begin to imagine the sting that kind of pain brings. I would never blame you for evil, even if you caused me pain. I came into this world with nothing, and when I die it will be the same. I will praise your name in the giving and taking away. If I have you. I can lose everything and still consider it gain. If you made it this far into the episode, thank you. It was kind of weird and honestly a little annoying having to listen to my own voice for so long while editing. Um, so thank you for bearing with me. Um, 
I didn't use a lot of biblical references in regards to um, like using actual scripture to describe a point, but I plan to release the next episode within the next two or three weeks or so. Um, and that the next one, it'll focus on explaining um, how the Bible is reliable, um, not only as a historical text, but as the very word of the creator of the universe, as the word of God. Um, the reason behind this is I want to start you off with the basics as to why we even could believe what the Bible says um, before I start rattling off Bible verses left and right. Uh, because even me as a believer early on in my walk, um, when I would engage in a conversation with um, with anybody, whether they were atheist, a fellow believer, or someone of another religion, um, if they are actually, it has to be a believer because I need it for the sake of making the point. Um, if they say, well, the Bible says, um, you know, X, Y, Z. But if I, as a non-believer, don't believe the Bible is true in the first place or even reliable, I'm just going to dismiss whatever you say after that statement. It's just natural. I don't believe it, so I'm not going to listen. Um, but anyway, that's what the next episode is going to be about. Um, that's what it's going to focus on. So it's going to be like pretty dense as far as numbers and history and timelines and all this other stuff. But but that's what it'll focus on, and I feel like it'll help a lot of a lot of people um, with where to start and how to how to make a defense for it. Um, so, so thanks again for taking the time out of what usually would be your time to listen to music, an audiobook, or a different podcast. Um, I appreciate your support and listening immensely. Uh, I hope and pray you continue in this fight with not only me, but as you heard before, uh, alongside this global community, this, this church body, a body that a carpenter from Nazareth lived a perfect life and died a gruesome death for. Thanks again for tuning in. Until next time, don't knock it. Don't knock it till you tr- don't knock it till you know. Don't knock it till you try it. I love you guys. And read your bibles. <laughs> Peace.